electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. NASDAQ in correction. The index now officially reaching that mark within the past hour, falling 10% from its closing high in November. This is rates continue to rise to their highest level in a couple of years. The Investment Committee here to make sense of all of that. Debate the road ahead for your money as well. Joining me for the hour today, Liz Young, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova, and John Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go right to the wall, take a look at stocks. And take a look at rates, of course. There's the Dow and the S&P. Uh, they are positive. NASDAQ, though, is dipped negative. There's the Russell in negative territory as well. 184, that's the yield on the 10-year. Got as high as 190. It's a two-year high. And that's why you still have consternation in the markets, Joe Terranova. So we're officially in correction territory now for the NASDAQ. How are you trading it? Well, it's interesting. There's a tremendous amount of volatility in this market, obviously, Scott. And right now, a lot of the trading that I'm doing is going on in the derivatives market, futures and options. Today has a very defensive feel to it, unfortunately. Uh, you had technology down, financials down. Energy is actually down with the spot price of oil, which is expiring tomorrow, pushing towards $88. Utilities higher, consumer staples higher as well. So there is this overall defensive feel. However, I do think we are in the process. We are in the process of trying to find a bottom for the component of technology where the free cash flow generation is here and now. It's present. And that's a lot of the companies like a Microsoft, like an Adobe, like a Cisco, like an Oracle, not the innovation technology. So bottoming is not a moment in time. It's a process. And I think we're beginning. We're at the stages of doing it. One last point, we pierced in the queues below the January 10th low, and we quickly snapped and reversed higher, and we're following through right now. So, we, uh, Liz, we're below the 200-day moving average on the NASDAQ. We, we broke below that level. And Apple is kind of the only of the, the majors, if you will, holding on for dear life right now um, to break uh, away from correction territory. Alphabet's in it, down 10% from its high. Microsoft, 12%. Amazon, 16.5%. Meta, the former Facebook, 16 NVIDIA, 27% from its high. Apple's 8%. What are you watching most importantly right now? Well, one of the things that I think is really important to point out is that we've had dip buyers in this market, particularly in the NASDAQ, right around that down 6 to 8% level for the last year and a half. And then finally this year, that has broken down. So what we saw yesterday obviously dipped below the 200-day moving average. Those dip buyers come in, but they don't stick around as long. So now it's a matter of what are they buying and how long are they going to hold on to it? And I think there's three things that investors need to remember in 2022. Fundamentals obviously matter. Valuations finally matter again. And you also have to look at the financial health 
of a company. So this is a time period where you're looking at, you can evaluate companies based on fundamentals and valuations, and both of them should trigger. Last year, we couldn't really do that with valuations. Everything was so expensive. Now we're looking at a time where things are going to meet up and it's going to make more sense. I think the big tech names, obviously, this year are not going to be the huge standouts given the environment. But there's a lot of other places in the indexes that can come in and take the lead. We just have to step away from that tech stuff, not fall so much in love with it, and fall in love with some of the other spaces. I would still hold on to that cyclical trade, and I'm still holding on to a small cap call. All right, so Steve Weiss, you told our producers this morning it's a, quote, do-nothing market, yet you are doing something, and that is back shorting. <laughs> uh, the Qs mm -hmm. and the SMH among other things, but let's talk about those two first. Why you put that on again? Those are hedges. So I'm not really expressing a view that I think, you know, directly that the QSL or the NASDAQ is going to go down dramatically, nor am I expressing a view that the semi-index is going to go, although I'm a little cooler on semis than I have been after TSM came out last week and said China demand has really fallen off a cliff in what should be a seasonally strong time, and that's for cell phones specifically. But I just think this is a do-nothing market. By that, I mean that I think people are still too optimistic while crying in their milk, so to speak. And here's why I say that. Look, momentum got us to where we were, hitting new highs virtually every day on what was historically easy money for an historically long period of time with a balance sheet, again, historically higher than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's this feeling that momentum can't cut both ways. So I believe that it can. And I believe we'll continue to overshoot in the downside in stocks that are cheap. Take a look at applied materials. I think that's an inexpensive stock. Multiples are still way too high. We've got forward multiples on the NASDAQ at about 27, 28 times. Historically, it's 20. And you're in a massive tightening cycle. So there'll be better times to get in by neutralizing my exposure. I'm still net long 50 to 60 percent, depending upon the day. By neutralizing my equity exposure, I'm going to not worry about what's going on up or down, and I'm not going to miss it. The market's not going meaningfully above where it is now for any period of time while we're in this tightening cycle. And the surprise still is a more aggressive Fed, okay. period. Well, we're going to have Rick Reeder come up in, in a few moments of BlackRock. We haven't heard from him in several months. So we're going to find out more about the Fed. But first, I want to talk to Dr. J, who looks like he's off the slopes, uh, at least for the moment. Yep. So, Doc... Are yeah. you telling me, I mean, you're a nimble dude, right? I mean, you're telling me, is there nothing to, to short-term trade around in the tech complex, whether it's mega cap or the Kathy Woods type stocks, the ARCs, which are down, the, the innovation fund is, was 52% from its 52-week high. I'm just curious if you look at the Teslas or Shopify's or Blocks, the former Square, Coinbase or Zoom, Roblox or Shopify or Twilio or Palantir, things you have traded in the past, are you not doing any of that today? Um, I, I'm really not right now, Scott. Uh, and it's not out of fear. It's because the, I just don't have a catalyst in there in terms of, uh, you know, the buying activity of either calls or puts. I'd be happy to short them if, if they were buying lots of puts. Um, when you and I talked Friday from San Moritz, Scott, uh, I was talking about the, uh, the NASDAQ 
uh, and the QQQ in particular being above the 200 day. It still is. Now, perhaps the NASDAQ, because slightly different measure than the QQQ, um, the QQQ is five points above the 200 day moving average. It's 365 for that uh, moving average. Uh, we're at 370 when we came on air or mm-hmm. thereabouts. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I have some S&P 500 puts, Scott, that, they, that I bought last week uh, because they were buying aggressively in March puts in there. I have those IWM puts, but I don't have QQQ puts because I think we are going to bounce at those levels. And if and when we do, I think I'll be able to pick up some good stocks if not great stocks at those levels. Now, I'll tell you what I have been buying, Scott. I've been buying Kohl's, KSS. Mm. Yesterday, strong activity yet again. LVS, um, in the face of a pretty decent sell-off the last several days, LVS, which again, you and I spoke of for unusual activity last week, gets another upgrade today. Mm -hmm. Shares are up another, I think, 2% or thereabouts. 3%. So there are definitely areas where, 3%, there you go. So there are definitely areas where you can still be buy, buying and or selling. Um, but, uh, and I'm still holding on to those IWM puts, Scott. Although I'll point out we are at the 52-week low right now for the small cap index, the Russell 2000 IWM. So do I pull the trigger there? Do we get a bounce there? I know what I just heard from Liz. She likes it at, uh, at this level. I should probably uh, be taking off some of those puts, and hopefully I'll get some off if there's any kind of a movement. But if I could just have 10 more seconds, Scott, the VXN is actually down today. That's the measure of risk in the NASDAQ. VIX, of course, measures S&P 500. VXN um, is the NASDAQ. And that one has dropped today. It's not moving up. So if someone wants to hang their hat on something, they could say that is the worst over. It gives me hope that that 365 level does hold in the QQQ. So, Joe, UBS today says, well, we see 10-year mm-hmm. yields climbing modestly higher from 188 at present to around 2% by June. We could get to 2% by Friday at this point. And 2.1% by year yeah. end. We do not forecast a, a sharper rise. So let's assume for the time being that let's just take this at face value and say, okay, maybe this current streak is about to come to an end. For yields, Are you telling me that an, an Oracle down 20 percent or a ServiceNow down 25, Autodesk 26, Adobe down 26, Snowflake down 30 or CrowdStrike down 42 are not attractive if, if rates can sort of stabilize and, and just stop this daily rise? OK, so ready? Here, here goes. A U.S. 10 year right now is one point eight four. So the yield is actually beginning to relax a little. German 10-year, back in negative territory. To your point, Positive. NASDAQ is rallying as, as we're speaking. So, ready? I'll give you three trades. Okay. But you have to put the trades on, okay. and you have to accept well, are you a putting very them on? low risk. Are you putting them on? Let me, let me, let me well, give you, you the trades. You, you said you have to put let the trades on. The, I just wanted to make sure you're putting them on. When I give the trades, I want to give the trades first. Then I'll tell you what I'm putting on. Okay. CrowdStrike. Once CrowdStrike with a 170 stop. Okay. Fortinet with a 290 stop. Okay. Adobe. That's the one stock I'm going to put on with a 499 stop. And then you could also go in. Sorry, Steve Weiss. You could go in and you could buy the Qs with a 370 stop. I'll buy the Qs. 
and I'll buy Adobe later this afternoon using those stops. Well, why, why'd you give Fortnite if you're not going to be doing that one? I gave the viewers four. I mean, if you want me to do them all and only give stocks Joe, based on, on what I'm doing. I don't want you to do anything, Joe. I don't want you to say, I don't want you to give well, I, trades when you don't have the same skin in the game that you're urging other people to do. That, that's all I'm asking. That's the only reason I'm asking. Scott, so I just want to see if you're doing it too. Scott, Fortinet has been in the Joe T ETF okay. since November of 2020. Don't question my skin in the game. It's okay. there, my okay. friend. I'm not questioning your skin in the game, Joe. You're giving very specific trades. I just wanted to know if you're along for the ride, too. Don't be so sensitive. It's all good. All right. Steve Weiss, <laughs> you want to take that same question about the slide in some of those, those stocks that people have loved? Now they're well off their highs. What if rates do start to stabilize? Maybe they are now. Look, I, I think you'll see tradable bounces in them. And I do think you have to use tight stops on the indices, uh, the ETFs. But at the end of the day, I can't justify the valuation at a snowflake at 260 anymore than I could at 360. So it's going to be a short-term pop. That's it. And I think Kathy Woods is, you know, talking her own book, as, as most of us do. Um, but she's got a bias. She's got a whole complex built around owning those stocks. Okay, hey, Weiss. And whether it's blind let, faith, let me I do wouldn't this. own them. No. Let me, since you're talking about Kathy Wood, I'm going to yep. read you something that she tweeted. Forgive me for interrupting you, but I wanted to do it now since you mentioned her, and then I want you to to react to what she has to say by tweet. Quote, the disconnect between valuations for innovative companies in the public versus private markets is as wide as I've ever seen. The arbitrage opportunity is enormous. What do you make of that statement? Well, I spend actually more of my time at this point in the private market looking at private companies, and I would tell you that's patently false. Sure, it's true with some, but with others, it's nowhere near true. Now, there's way too much money chasing private transactions, and that's the toughest thing. So it puts, it puts an unreasonable price on some of them, but not all of them. I mean, I'm looking at some things that are just, frankly, um, you know, much cheaper than equity markets. So I look at Epic Games, for example. Epic Games is still cheaper, or maybe it's priced where Unity is, but Epic Games is throwing off a billion dollars of free cash flow every year, making money. Unity is losing money. How is that arbitrage unfair to the public markets? It's not. It's a case-by-case basis. I don't think that statement reads particularly true. Okay, so Liz Young, uh, interesting note out today from Ned Davis Research, closely followed by some of the big money, says reducing U.S. equity outlook from bullish to neutral, moving 5% from stocks to cash for U.S. asset allocation, and shifting to large caps. What do you make of that tactical move by Ned Davis Research? Uh, I'm going to make an assumption that neutral U.S. outlook means something in the camp of normal returns, so we'll call that six to eight percent returns. Um, I think that's probably reasonable. I don't know that moving too large cap, I'm not sure where it was coming from. I don't know that moving too large cap is necessarily the play in this environment. If you look over history, small cap value is the only major asset class that has outperformed inflation in every decade. So I would be diversifying more on a size basis. I also think when you look internationally, this is the year of divergence. So not just 
divergence among sectors, which we're already seeing, if you look at just energy versus tech year to date, but we're going to see divergence across regions. And this sort of unyielding outperformance of the U.S., I don't know that it's going to hold up as much this year. I think that there are a lot of opportunities outside the U.S. So if I were going to call it neutral U.S., I would say neutral U.S. and be deploying capital into some of developed Europe, into Asia, uh, developed Asia, and I'd be mm -hmm. looking maybe at cash to deploy more capital just as an option outside of bonds. Let me, let me throw the ball back to, to Joe. I feel like Joe needs to pick me up after that prior segment. We good, Joe? It's all good. So <laughs> let me give you more information on Ned Davis, Davis' research just so there's more context to the headline that I read, which was moving 5% from stocks to cash for U.S. asset allocation and shifting to large caps. The shifts are not an outright bearish call, they say. A neutral absolute call implies a 5 to 7% annualized gain for the S&P 500, and we remain overweight stocks relative to bonds. Give me your view on this call here. I, I think that investors are, are still holding on to large cap equities because they really fit the characteristics fundamentally of, of what you want to own right now in this market as we go through this monetary tightening cycle. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to sell out of my Apple. I'm not going to sell out of my Microsoft. I'm not going to sell out of my Alphabet. I'm going to hold on to those. And, Scott, right now, small caps, small caps really are not providing you the type of outperformance that you would be expecting as we move forward. So I, I disagree with that. I like the balance, obviously. I like, you know, having some mid caps as well. Uh, but I, I'm still going to hold on to large cap exposure. All right. Let's bring in our headliner now. BlackRock's Rick Reeder. He's the CIO of Global Fixed Income, head of the global allocation team. Welcome back. It's your first time on in a few months. It's good to see you again. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. And when you did come on last, you reiterated your view that stocks are going higher, equities are going higher. Those were your words, and that's the way you said it, and you were confident as ever, Rick. So three months later, are they still going higher? What do you make of where we are today? Uh, I would say it was a very definitive, I don't know at this point. And I, I mean, it's quite frankly, you know, a uh, big departure from where we were a couple, three months ago, uh, Scott. I mean, first of all, the equity market had a pretty good go. We up, what, we were up 27% last year. But I think your panel was describing it right. We are in a tightening cycle. And we're in a tightening cycle, which I think is unclear at this point. Listen, the Fed has gone a long time of putting QE into the system. And now we're going to learn more about how fast they're going to have to pull it back. And, I, and I, you know, nobody's ever seen a paradigm where a Fed is doing QE up until a time now they're going to start raising rates and then maybe reducing the balance sheet as you get later into the year. So it's, you know, I think it's a time for reflection. It's a time to think, gosh, we've come a long way. Maybe we pause a little bit. Listen, I think at the end of the year, I still think equities are going to be your best asset class, certainly relative to the bond market. I think equities can be up 10 percent this year. How they get there, I think, is unclear. And like I say, I'm looking forward to next week and seeing how Chair Powell and uh, does and, and talks about where policy is going to be and how, how quickly they feel like they have to bring the economy or bring inflation back down again. A time for reflection. I mean, what are we throwing on the mamas and the papas and sitting down and like <laughs> reflecting, uh, just looking out the window and thinking about the equity market, Rick? I mean, the, the, the market is assuming that you're getting four hikes and QT. And we can show the probabilities. They're at contract highs. 
do, do you believe what you see in the chart? Are you also expecting that to play out that way? So I think that's about right. I think the market's pricing it about, about right. Listen, I think rates, I think the 10 years go in at 2%. And I think we're going to get, which you, I think you said earlier, could get there tomorrow. Given how thin these markets are, uh, you could definitely see that. The, uh, and I think you're going to go to the low twos. So if you say, gosh, I think the 10 years is going to go to the low twos. And you think about where we've come from. You know, I still think your earnings are going to be good this year. I still think you're going to hit, you know, what could be 12 to 15% earnings growth. You, you lift the discount rate up a bit, and then you think, okay, but I got I to gotta recalibrate a little bit to a higher discount rate. So can you still have, have reasonable returns in equities? I think so. But, I, but boy, it's not. I mean, think about where we were. You, know, you were saying I was so bullish last year. You had QE and you had nominal GDP over 10%. That is nirvana in, uh, for an equity market. Today, it's, it's, it's quite different. Well, it doesn't mean we can't go up. I just think it's going to be uneven and volatile. And I think you've got to manage your portfolio more aggressively relative to that. You say low twos on the 10-year. Um, by when? Because it seems like we could be there by Friday. <laughs> uh, so, listen, I mean, I, the markets are pretty thin. I think we're going to get there. Listen, I don't think we're going much higher. And I think that's the important point. You know, we're going to get there in the next month or two, or it's going to take four or five months to get there. I think that's where we're going. But I don't think some of the radical calls that have, quite frankly, dislocated a lot of investors is, gosh, the Fed is so far behind the, behind the curve, they're going to have to lift where they end up going with rates, how quickly they get there much faster, and that's going to push rates dramatically higher. I just don't think so. I think the Fed is going to be, and Chair Powell, and I think in the Senate testimony, was pretty thoughtful about how he described this, and we're going to hear it next week. I think they're going to move three to four times this year. And, and then I think they're going to watch the economy. By the way, the data over the last couple of months, or certainly the last few weeks, has been a little bit softer. Retail sales was a bit softer. Industrial production was a little bit softer. The Empire survey was a little bit softer. New orders were a little bit softer. It's a hard thing. With the, you know, is the Fed going to tighten aggressively into what is a moderating economy? You know, I, my, my thoughts are they're probably going to be a bit more deliberate than that. Do you that. think that the Fed still has cred? Rick, I mean, in the in the speed in which they seem to have changed their view and acknowledged that they were wrong on in inflation, which they were. And now we're up to four hikes plus QT, considering where we were just a few months ago. I mean, that's a strong statement. Listen, I think this Fed was genius in what how flexible, how adaptive, how thoughtful it was getting into covid. And listen, I think you got to got to cut them some slack for how we go with, you know, how you come out of a pandemic and then, by the way, pause and then go back into one, I think is pretty hard. Listen, I wouldn't have, and I've been pretty, you know, open about it. I, you know, I think the QE went way too long. I think they should have stopped the QE mm -hmm. early last year. And now pulling back, I think, is, you know, you can't pull back that hard because when you drain liquidity, and we saw this in 2018, it is not the same as when you're adding liquidity in. When you drain liquidity, if you hit too hard, you know, markets tend to have a harder time with that than uh, than I think people realize. You know, people are, are good when markets go up, and uh, it's a tougher when you're trying to delever the system slowly and land the plane softly. That can be harder when you're when you're draining liquidity. Yeah, I mean, Josh Brown on this show has made the suggestion that you know the market is ahead of itself on its view of the Fed, that the market is doing some of the Fed's job for it. And thus, it's going to give the Fed cover to be slower than, than people think. Do, do you buy that? Uh, you know, I don't think the Fed is that laser focused on every tick in the market. That being said, I think there's some truth. 
to the Fed would like to see financial conditions back off of the levels they've been. They've been extraordinarily easy, too easy. The valuations that y'all were talking about on the show prior have got, gotten clearly too lofty. The leverage in the system, the financing rates that were being applied to assets was getting too aggressive. So I think the Fed very, very uh, profoundly wanted to see financial conditions snug up a bit. So has the market come down enough to allay some of their fears? You know, I, I'm not sure that's that's totally right. But uh, but clearly, you know, some recalibration and a little less of the of what was extraordinary risk taking. I think I think the Fed would be very comfortable with and, that and, being the case. And by the way, I mean, when I when I suggest, you know, at the outset that you were as bullish as bullish can be um, and rightfully so. I mean, the goalposts have moved in the past few months. So, you know, I, I was expecting some level of pivot from you. I just wasn't sure to to what degree. We were going to get that. I I do find it noteworthy as I'm looking at the allocations for the sectors. And again, you're head of the the global allocation team, Um, 14 and a half percent tech. So the largest allocation of of what you have is to tech. Mm. So I would say I would say a couple of things. First of all, um, I do believe technology is the right place to be over the longer term. And we're not investing. I mean, think about how tech has done the last three years and how we think it will be going forward. I still think it makes a lot of sense to have technology as a big part of your portfolio. If you think about where we're going to be in the earnings power of some of the tech companies, yes, I still think technology. Now, I think, I think uh, one of the things that uh, I think Steve said and, and others have said, you know, do you manage your risk underneath the surface using some hedges, using some uh, some put options, et cetera, to manage what your delta or what your exposure to the market is? Absolutely. So we've done some of that. But gosh, if you when you look at earnings growth and where we're going, I still think tech has got to be part of your portfolio. If you're not investing for the next six months, and you're investing for a uh, for a longer period of time. Listen, I think you got to be careful mm-hmm. over the next couple of months for sure. But but if you're a longer term investor, absolutely can, believe in tech. Can you do me a favor um, and sit tight for a couple minutes? Let me take a quick break. Come back. I want to get the committee involved. Yes, sir. Um, you haven't been on in a while, so there's more to talk to you about. And I know the yes, committee sir. would like to do it as well. We're back right after this break with Rick Reader. A lot more trades ahead as well. Don't go anywhere. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. New York Attorney General Tisha James disclosing new details about her civil investigation into former President Donald Trump. 
James claims that the evidence suggests that the company put fraudulent values on multiple assets and misrepresented those values to financial institutions. These events took place while the former president, Ivanka Trump, and Donald Trump Jr. were in charge. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson saying that he will lift almost all remaining COVID restrictions in England. This comes as Johnson continues to face calls to resign from other members of his parliament. One conservative member telling Johnson, in the name of God, go. Johnson is currently embroiled in controversy over charges that he lied about hosting staff parties during England's strict COVID lockdown period. Major airlines around the world are rushing to cancel or change flights to the U.S. as the rollout of a new 5G wireless service sparks safety concerns. The scramble comes despite Verizon and AT&T agreeing to temporarily limit the launch of the service around some airports. Airline executives previously warned that the 5G service could cause disruptions and also potentially interfere with radio signals. And for more on specific moves that some air carriers are taking, tune into the news with Shepard Smith tonight at 7 Eastern. Scott, I'll send it back to you. We'll be there. Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon. All right, we're back with BlackRock's Rick Reader. All right, Rick, um, back to the conversation about the market. You think that we can do 10 percent this year for equities. When does the market begin to settle down and, you know, make back what we may lose and then get to the point where we can actually build something, put something together and get to the 10 percent you think equities can do? So, so Scott, I mean, I go back to, uh, you know, when all else fails, I go back to the math. And, 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 and I really think about if you assume the economy this year is going to grow at seven, you know, I think seven plus percent nominal GDP. If that's right, then corporate revenues should grow at seven plus percent revenue. So you take operating leverage that companies have, stock buyback, et cetera. You can get to 12 to 15 percent earnings pretty readily without really stressing. I know people talk about wage costs. No doubt they're accelerating, but the operating leverage is real. Okay, so let's say that's right, but we talk about you, you increase the discount rates, you got to pull that back so the equity market can get you a 10, and maybe I'm wrong and it's a 7 or it's a 12. I don't, I don't know. But, you know, I think we got to get more clarity from the Fed around this tightening. And, and quite frankly, it will be a lot more comfortable if some of these inflation prints, listen, the next couple inflation prints could still show some pretty high numbers. And if that's so, it's going to keep people on edge. If I got gosh, the Fed's behind the curve. I've got to be careful. I'm not sure how fast they're going to go. And that makes it uneasy. And that's why I talk about there's this, it's definitely not going to be a straight line there. And I think we need, and listen, I do believe that the economy is showing some signs of moderation. And, and I do believe that you'll see some amelioration of some of these real pressures on inflation uh, while it stays sticky, you're going to see it come off of these really extreme levels, and that'll give people some uh, some comfort. But I think that's going to take a little bit of time. But see, this is one of the problems, though, right? If, if you say the economy, in your words, is, is, is showing some signs of, of moderation, even if you're coming off extraordinarily high levels, you get a Fed that is tightening aggressively, we think, into what is a slowing economy. Even if it's slowing off of a huge level, it's still a slowing economy when they're doing what they are with policy and the QT on top of it. Okay, so so let's take the starting point we're at today. We are at emergency conditions today. We're still putting quantitative easing into the system. We're just putting liquidity into the system and we're sitting at interest rates at zero. It, to, to pull back to closer to neutral, if you get the funds rate 
to one and a half percent and then pause and interpret what if we what have we learned since then we're going to get a lot of payroll reports a lot of inflation reports let's reduce a bit of the balance sheet but be very deliberate in how we do it let's pull back from emergency conditions and and then in an economy where potential growth is in and around two percent and real and then if you start and it looks like you're going to have what is still sticky but two and a half to three percent inflation you've got a normalized growth paradigm but we're off emergency conditions boy that is an environment i could live with and that's an environment but we need to hear that and we need to see that in terms of some of the data before we can get real comfort around that it's just a starting point today Mm -hmm. it's too easy and how we get from here to there is unclear i think everybody would agree um, with that well uh, said statement let's bring the committee in if we can joe terranova first question for rick reader Hey, Rick, good to see you. So back to technology for a moment. You talk with a lot of advisors. What they will tell you is that for traditional fixed income investors, they're utilizing technology in the mega cap equities as some form of income solution. You think that's the right strategy or does that actually present a risk for the market? (laughs) So it's a great question. There are. uh, Listen, I think part of, you know, part of in any environment that you have where where you don't have a lot of hedges and things are correlating differently, it becomes a lot trickier. And your point is well taken. And part of how when we think about what is our interest rate exposure, what is our financials exposure, what is our technology exposure, you've got to bring those all into the equation, which I know you do and I know you think about. It's trickier today because you hadn't been able to get any income through other mechanisms. So you had to go to other where other places to get them. Equity was your way to get income. And now it becomes a bit trickier in this tightening environment. So, yes, that, that does create a bit more volatility, as, as you, you rightly said. What, what part of fixed income do you like the best today for viewers who are into that? So, so there are a couple of places. I mean, first of all, the securitized markets, the real estate market's in great shape. So financing commercial real estate, financing residential real estate, those are the core of where we really like uh, the market today in fixed income. The emerging markets are starting to get pretty interesting around where local rates are. And then we're trying to keep our interest rate exposure low. You know, the credit markets are still okay. You know, we're going a bit higher quality in places like investment grade as opposed to last year. We did a lot more in high yield. Mm. But uh, but there's still ways to generate a positive return in fixed income. You just got to be a lot more nimble and you have to keep your interest rate exposure uh, pretty moderate in this environment. High yield get any worrisome to you anytime soon, do you think? Um, so, you know, I, we're, I think that the point that is really significant around high yield, listen, I don't think the valuations are very attractive in high yield, but we're also not going to see a default cycle. We still, if you've got nominal GDP at the levels you're at, you're not going to see a lot of defaults. And what really disrupts high yield is when you get, obviously, a movement in higher rates, but also the ons potential for the onset of recession and to create more defaults. Boy, I think we're far from that. And the need for yield is so big still today mm-hmm. that it doesn't give me a lot of concern. But, you know, do I have I reduced a lot of it? I have because I just don't think the valuations are that are that exciting anymore. But more loans. I think the loan market is more interesting than high yield. Today. Interesting. Last question. Liz Young. Hi, Rick. So we've been Hi. conditioned Hi, that the Fed is here to save the market, right, to save us from drawdowns. I'm in the camp that this year they're okay with a little bit of a drawdown because their first priority is controlling inflation. Their second priority actually now becomes rebuilding their buffer for the next crisis because we're two years out from the last market bottom. Where am I wrong, though? What would be the breaking point in the market that would make them pivot dovish again? Is it the spreads between twos and tens? Is it a drawdown? What is it? 
No, it's a great question. But, I, you know, I listen, I think the Fed is very much focused on the core economy. And I, I think I tend generally think people overstate the Fed's interest in the market's valuation levels. Listen, if we drew down and there was a reason that we drew down 10 to, to double digit, low double digit percent. But yes, do I think the Fed would certainly slow down this dynamic around how much they had to tighten? But I think it would have to be precipitated by, gosh, there was something in the core economy and or inflation that that was causing real concern. Because I I truly believe, I don't think the Fed put is there. And I I think they're really focused on how do you bring down inflation for the consumer today? And what are the mechanisms that we utilize to get there? Hey, man, we covered a lot. I appreciate the time very much. Thanks Thanks, for uh, thanks for the extended appearance with us. Thank you. The mamas and the papas, though, I'm not even I'm not that old. Well, you you said it was a time for reflection. I was that's the first thing I I thought of. I understand. I understand. All right. We'll Well, talk to you soon. Yeah, that's Black Rock's Rick Reader. I know we'll talk to you again soon. Happy New Year to you as well. All right. Still ahead. John's got unusual activity. We got bank earnings. We got a trade as well. Steve Weiss is trimming a Jim Labenthal stock. I don't think it's just to make Farmer Jim mad, but it might be. We'll talk about that as well next. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft and performance with Acura's all electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. Inflation fighting ETFs are all the rage right now, but there's a bewildering variety to choose from. Let's talk about that with Kevin O'Leary, chairman of O'Shares. Kevin, with inflation such an issue, how are you positioned and what should investors be considering to address inflation? So in inflationary times, all of a sudden, quality really matters, cash flow matters, distributions in the form of dividends matter, and sectors that have pricing power in inflationary times. And so one of the reasons we've seen such pressure in tech is that PEs tend to get compressed. And so if you're going to be using an ETF, you want it to be something that's got diversity around sectors that are really strong in pricing power. So can, think about this. Healthcare right now, as we're coming out of the pandemic at some point, all the elective surgeries that haven't happened for the last two years will come piling in. That matters. So I'm using, obviously, I'm talking on book when I say this, but I love what we've done at O-Shares because we focus on quality and cash distributions. OUSA is up to 40% of my holdings now. It is an ETF that's designed to have high-quality pieces of the S&P. So it it gets rid of, it's a rules-based ETF that says, give me companies that do well in inflation that have pricing power. So do people pay for consumable goods in inflationary times? Yes, they do. They have to eat. 
They've got to buy healthcare products and they have to do things that they do every day, even though these companies have the ability to raise prices as inflation comes in. And they certainly have. That's why we're seeing inflation in aggregate at 7%. But the market hasn't corrected significantly because the companies that are bolstering the 500, the SP 500 now, are the ones I'm talking about, like the ones inside of OUSA. Yeah, I see uh, your OSHA's quality dividend ETF you were just talking about trading about in line with the markets right now. You've got companies like Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson, uh, Microsoft, Home Depot, Verizon in here, all of them high quality, high dividend yield. Is that an effective inflation fighting strategy right now, given what we're dealing with? Yes, it is. And one other attribute, I like boring Big and boring, big fat cash flows. That's what I like because at times like this, when you have a portfolio of high quality names, you reduce your volatility. That's what OUSA is designed to do, to track the index with a lot less volatility. And that's what it's done for years. And I, I like that when you're trying to preserve wealth. At a time like this, there'll be a lot of volatility. And the other area to look at these days is people have ignored the European postal code for years. They hate Europe for whatever reason. However, there are some massive companies over there now really poised to do well in inflationary times, particularly in healthcare and consumables as well. Names like Nestle that people think is an American company, it's actually Swiss. That's inside of OEUR, which is a European index of 50 really big, really high quality and really boring companies, just like I like them. All right. Much more on inflation fighting ETFs coming up on ETF Edge. Kevin's going to be joined by Scott Ladner. He's the CIO of Horizon Investments. Also on board is Alexi Panayokolopoulos, who runs the Netflix corporate real estate ETF. This is a very interesting real estate investment vehicle that throws off a 4% year yield. We're going to talk about converts, preferreds, high yield, bank loans, other ways to get more yield from your investments. ETFedge.cnbc.com, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, halftime. Back right after this. All right, we're back. All right, Steve Weiss, I hope Jim Labenthal's watching, uh, and I hope he's sitting down because you've trimmed his largest position, which is Cleveland Cliffs. Why did you trim this one, Steve? Yep. Well, first of all, Jim is watching because he hangs on to my every word, I'm sure. And that makes him a smarter person. Look, uh, here's what here's why I sold it. I'm trying to keep a lid on my exposure, as I explained in the first block. And typically you sell stocks like this when the multiple is the lowest, when they look the cheapest and you buy them when they're damaged and the multiples expand. So I think it'll do OK. I bought Eastman Chemical last week. Um, and I think that will far outperform Cleveland Cliffs. You know, it got capped out at about 25. It's been a good stock, still made good money on it. But frankly, I don't see it breaking out of this near term trading range, regardless of how they use their cash flow. I think Eastman Kodak, on the other hand, gets re-rated. So I much prefer to be there. Didn't want to put on any more, you know, big positions. So okay. that's why I did it. I I've been, I've been watching Kodak. like literally every tick mm. on, on Twitter and, and there's no response yet from Jim. Um, maybe he's busy um, or he's trying to gather his thoughts before he responds to you. But I'm certainly keeping my eye out. I will report I actually, anything Scott, that he says. I actually have right. I actually have him washing my car now. So he's going to be tired. <laughs> uh, for another hey, real quick. Hour, so. The SoFi news. I knew why Liz had some pep in her step today. Um, big <laughs> smile on her face. Joe, SoFi surging today, right, to get the, the approval for the bank charter. You own the stock. Give me a comment on that, please. 
So now they're a bank. And tell me where you could find a bank that's going to give you 40 to 50 percent revenue growth and expanding margins. That's just something that's unheard of in the banking industry. So this is a bank that also fits the characteristics of being a growth uh, opportunity for investors, and that's why I'm holding on. Okay. Um, Looking forward, by the way, yeah. to hearing what Anthony Noto yeah. has to say this evening with Jim. Well, you just did the promo for me. Liz's boss, <laughs> Anthony Noto, <laughs> SoFi CEO, is going to be on Mad Money tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Do not miss it. We know Liz is going to be watching for sure. All right, we'll come back. We've watching. got unusual, uh, Joe is going to be too. A lot of other people too. Unusual activities next. All right, Doc, unusual activity. What do you got? Well, uh, let's start off with some energy, Scott, because oil's at a seven-year high. Um, That means some of the other energy providers are also going to be in huge demand, like Camco, CCJ, obviously uh, uranium and so forth. A big 23,000-lot print in the March 24 calls hits with the stock at 2140. So I jumped back into Camco CCJ. I'll probably ride this one for the next two months, Scott. Next one, Biocrest BCRX, $14.70. Somebody bought 5,000 of the February 13 calls. Uh, that's an in the money call, Scott, because the stock's trading 1470. So I jumped on those as well. All right. Hey, I want to call your attention to shares of four. Joe, you see this? You own these, you own these shares, right? This is the, the biggest mm-hmm. plunge in eight months uh, for Ford happening today. Uh, props to John uh, Spallanzani for pointing this out, reaching out and, and, and sharing this, too. Um, biggest plunge in eight months. Analysts are talking about inflation, higher costs, supply chain affecting the auto names today. But that is one ugly chart uh, on this trading day. It's down 7% over this week. Much of that damage happening just today. As I said, um, that is the worst decline on an intraday basis for Ford in some eight months. We're back with final trades right after this. All right, a different day, uh, different stocks on the banks. Morgan Stanley's up today, Joe. A lot of pain in the banks lately. Um, it you is. own Morgan Stanley. You sold out of Goldman. We documented that. Morgan's up 2%. What are you doing with this one? I'm staying with it. Equity trading revenue up 13%. That's exactly what you wanted to see in this report from Morgan Stanley, and they delivered. Okay. Uh, Weiss Bank is uh, eh, it's kind of flat. It's up a little bit. Moynihan's going to be on uh, first on interview, by the way, on the closing bell. I know you'll be watching that with uh, everybody else. What's your quick reacts to this? I think Brian and his team did a great job. Sure, trading revenues were down, but importantly, loan growth was up near 3%, net interest income up 3%, and that's why I own this, because I think those will drive this stock and the financial higher. I'm looking to add to Goldman, haven't done it yet. Hey, Weiss, give me a quick name for final trades. We're going to go around the horn quick. Cash. Mm, Okay. Liz? Global healthcare. All right. Joey? CrowdStrike, I'm going to buy it, as well as Adobe and QQQ. All right, good stuff. Thank you for that. And Dr. J. Microsoft added to upside calls, Scott. Okay. Bang. Let's take a last look at the market as well. I mentioned the NASDAQ going into correction down 10% from its closing high in November. That's going to remain a big story. The move in rates certainly to be followed closely as well. That does it for us. Thanks for watching the exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
people today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.